they always do such a great job. Thank you so much, ladies. That was beautiful. This morning, we're beginning a brand new sermon series, a three part series we're calling living against the grain, living against the grain. What does that phrase against the grain mean anyway? Well, if you're a woodworker, uh, probably you're thinking about what you shouldn't do when you're sanding a a board, uh, go against the grain. But that saying against the grain has more meanings than just woodshop. It means to do something that is not that is not your natural tendency Uh, to do something that doesn't come naturally to you. And it also means to do something uh, which is not usually done. In other words, most people do something one way, but you go against the grain and you do it a totally different way. Well, today we're going to talk about living life that way, living against the grain. And I want to challenge you beginning today in the next couple of weeks to live against the grain every day. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. As you look at the title of the sermon today, where it says living against the grain, be great. You might be thinking, well, greatness is not really living against the grain. I mean, everybody wants to be great, right? Everybody wants to have prominence and position and power. Uh, people long after greatness and fortune, right? I mean, people want to be great. I haven't met many people who said, listen, I want, I want to be not great. I just want to be a failure. No, people say, I want to be great. I want to be great. I want to be good at whatever. I want to be great. You know, it's kind of funny. According to Fred Allen, a celebrity is a person who works all his life to become well-known and then wears dark glasses to avoid being recognized. Uh, There's a lot of truth in that. Uh, You might be thinking, well, how is being great living against the grain? It doesn't make sense. I mean, everybody wants to be great. So how does that go against the natural tendency? How does that go against the norm? Well, before you tune me out, Uh, Before you you, you do that, hear me out. I'm not talking about greatness using the world's definition. I'm talking about greatness using Jesus's definition. And beloved, may I say and be heard clearly today, there's a world of difference between the two. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 20 and we'll begin reading there at verse 17. As we think about the, the idea of being great, living against the grain, be great. And we're going to see what the Lord Jesus has to say about this and and what he says about greatness today. Matthew chapter 20, and we'll pick up our reading at verse number 17. Matthew 20, verse 17. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, these words. Now, Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, And to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, mock him and scourge him and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. So notice what he just told them. We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be condemned. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. The gospel. Now look at verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? They said to him, we are able. 
Verse 23. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those whom it is prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus announces his death. He announces his betrayal. He announces his resurrection. And right on the heels of that, we have him questioned by uh, Zebedee's wife, wife, uh, the mother of James and John. And it's interesting. If you go and read this account in the book of Mark. Uh, It says that then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Now, it says there that James and John asked. But back in Matthew, it says that their mom asked. And so some say, well, you've got a contradiction here. No, you don't. You don't have a contradiction. It's obviously the three of them approached the Lord Jesus. Perhaps their mom spoke on their behalf or perhaps all of them uh, piped up and and spoke to the Lord Jesus. But they come and it's very clear what they're asking. They want places of prominence. They want the right and left hand in the kingdom. Now, as we look at this, I want you to know, first of all, today that we're often like Zebedee's sons. Did you know that? We're often like Zebedee's sons. You say, well, what do you mean, preacher? We want greatness. Now, in regard to James and John, this is not as bad as it could be. They at least wanted to be close to the Lord Jesus. They wanted the closest spots. They were seeking this place of prominence. And nevertheless, you know, sad to say many moms and dads are like James and John's mom. They want their children to be the greatest at you name it. They want to be the greatest surgeon, the greatest athlete, the greatest student, the greatest whatever it is. It's only the top for their children. Only the best will do. But, you know, as Christians and as Christian parents, what we should desire for our kids is that they be great, not according to the world's definition, but that they be great according to Jesus's definition. You know, these thoughts of greatness follow us through our lives as well, don't they? Whatever it is, we desire to be number one. We desire the top spot. We desire to be the best. Maybe you're misunderstanding. You say, well, preacher, are you advocating mediocrity today? Are you saying, you know, don't try hard and don't work and don't do those things? No, not at all. What I'm advocating, what I'm exhorting you to do today is to seek greatness according to Jesus's definition of greatness. We've already read it. We'll look at it in a moment and talk a little bit more about Jesus' definition. But before we do that, let's go back and look at James and John just a little bit more. Jesus says to them, uh, you don't know what you're asking for here when you ask for the right and left hand of my kingdom. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? And they very boldly say what? We are able. Now, what was Jesus talking about? He just told them he's going to be betrayed, condemned, die, and thank God rise again. 
But he's saying you're going to suffer like I'm going to suffer. Are you willing to do that? And they very boldly say we are able. And then Jesus looks at them and says in verse 23. Yeah, you will. You will suffer. You know, James, we know, was beheaded as a martyr for the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 12, verse 2 says, then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. John was tortured and was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Robert Little said that James died a martyr's death and John lived a martyr's life. They would endure persecution. They would endure suffering. James would literally be beheaded for the cause of Christ and John would be exiled and tortured for the cause of Christ. He's very, very clear. Jesus says, yes, you're going to suffer. But listen, to give you the right and left hand is not mine to give. My father will give it to the one where it's been prepared for. Jesus says, this is not mine to give. And then a very, very interesting statement comes in verse 24. It says, and when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. That's about the other ten disciples. They heard what James and John were talking about, what Jesus was saying, and they were displeased. Why? Was it because they felt bad for James and John? said, look at those guys up there trying to get the best spots. Man, I felt bad for them. No, I think they were displeased because, guess what? They wanted the top spots. They wanted the right hand of the Lord Jesus, not James and John. Maybe they were upset because they didn't think about it first. You see, we're often like Zebedee's sons. We seek the top spots. We seek greatness. We seek prominence in the world's eyes. We're often like Zebedee's sons, but instead we need to be like God's son. We need to be like God's son. Jesus used this opportunity to teach you a very important lesson. I hope you caught it, but we learned that that Jesus' definition of greatness. Let's look at it again, beginning at verse 25. Jesus called them to himself. He used this opportunity to teach them. Come over here, guys. He says to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Maybe you know what that's like. Maybe you've had a boss like that who lords it over you. Maybe you've got one right now. It says, yet it shall not be so among you. Now, notice what he says. But whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You see, verse 25 is a picture of going with the grain. Living normal greatness in the world's eyes. You get the top spot. You get the position. You lord it over others. But verses 26 and 27 is living against the grain. You see, earthly kings and earthly leaders, those who are great in the world's eyes, are busy lording it over others. They want people to serve them. They have all kinds of servants. They're important. They're VIPs. People get out of their way. People give up their seats for them. People go out of their way to serve them. Jesus says, it shall not be so among you. I want you to live against the grain. You want to be great? Here's Jesus' definition. Be a servant. Be a servant. You want to be first? 
be a slave. Now you have to wonder what their initial response was. Maybe they kind of uh, cleared their ears out and, and tried to realize, is that really what he just said? To be great, be a servant, and to be first, be a slave. You see, the world's definition, beloved, listen, listen, guys, the world's definition of greatness is all about being served. Jesus' definition of greatness is about being a servant. Did you catch it? The world says be served. Jesus says you serve. Now, when I speak of being great today, I'm talking about true greatness. If you want to be great, be a servant. And lest there be any confusion among the disciples or among us, Jesus goes one step further. He puts himself as an example of what he's talking about here. Look at verse 28. Just as the Son of Man, that is the Lord Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let me ask you, if anyone had the right to be served, it was the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he is God. In the flesh. I mean, he is standing there speaking to those whom he created, whose lives he holds in his hands. But listen, he's the God man, the Messiah, God in the flesh. But what did he do? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And it says here, that's what I did. I gave my life. By the way, do you know him today? He gave his life for you. He shed his blood for you. He was buried for you. He arose victorious for you. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The weight of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you'll call upon him, he'll save you. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. You need to do that today if you've never done it, friend. You see, don't misunderstand. We don't serve the Lord to become saved. The Bible is very clear that not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But by grace are we saved. We never work to be saved. We don't work to keep our salvation. My heart breaks for those many religions that are putting people out today. that are saying, listen, work, 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 and you might make it. Jesus says, I've already accomplished all the work. Come to me and it's done and you're forgiven. See, we don't work to be saved. We work, we labor, we serve because we are saved. It's out of a heart of love because Jesus has done so much for us. We want to serve him. And so I hope that your spirit here, your heart here, as you labor here in whatever capacity, whatever office, I hope you don't labor along under begrudging uh, circumstances and say, well, I wish somebody else would do this. I wish they didn't do this. Listen, you're serving Jesus. And we do it out of a heart of love. And while we may grow tired in the work, we should never grow tired of the work because we're serving him. Do you know Jesus today? You see, Jesus, we could describe his life like this, couldn't we? Service and sacrifice. That's what he says there. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Service and sacrifice. That was Jesus' earthly life. Listen to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Therefore, because of that. 
God also have highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, beloved, Jesus is truly great. The great one. James and John wanted a crown without the cross. That's not the way it works. Jesus went to the cross and got the crown. You see, he redeemed us. He paid our pardon there. He was a servant and God has highly exalted him and we now serve him. And we will as believers throughout all eternity. You want to be great today? Be great according to Jesus. See, the problem is not about seeking greatness. We ought to seek greatness. The issue is whose greatness are we seeking? The world's greatness or the greatness of Jesus? I understand, I guess this has been many years ago, the Standard Oil Company was making preparations to establish itself in Indonesia. And company executives were, make, were seeking a manager for their Indonesian operations. And they were informed that the man best qualified to be the manager and to help them in this endeavor was a certain missionary. And so they went to the missionary. They approached him and, and, and asked him about his availability. And, and their offer was a, a large offer in those days, $30,000 yearly. That's what they were going to give him. The missionary said no. He declined the offer. Well, those seeking his service raised the offer. Still, he said, no, I, I won't work. Finally, they said, now this is what you wish your boss would say to you, right? They said this to him. Just name your salary. Just name your salary. We'll pay it if the salary we have named isn't large enough. Now, what you think about the missionary there? There he is. Obviously, he's a missionary. Do you know many rich missionaries? Name your salary. Here's what he said. Oh, the salary is big enough. The job isn't big enough. Think about that, beloved. Think about that. The salary's fine. It's not the salary, it's the job. Now, in the world's eyes, that man's a fool. Name your salary and you turned it down. Listen, in God's eyes, that man is great. You see the difference? I want to challenge us to live against the grain, to be truly great, to be a servant. Now, I want to ask you, don't answer a lot, but are you a servant? Are you, ma'am? Are you a servant? Are you, sir? Are you a servant? Are you a servant? If we were to ask somebody about you that knows you very well and say, listen, is so-and-so a servant? What would they say? Are you a servant? Let me ask you this. Are you looking for opportunities to serve? Or are you looking for ways to get out of service? Be honest about it. We're here to serve, beloved. By the way, if you're still here, if God has left you upon this planet, you should still be serving. No matter what your age, no matter what your stage. If God has given you health and strength and life, you should be serving him. You know, I, I grow so weary of hearing this idea. People talk about, well, I served my time at church. I've served my time. Listen, is this jail? You're free to go anytime you want to. Listen, we're here by the grace of God to serve in the grace of God for the love of God. You haven't served your time. You're serving your time. Get busy for the Lord Jesus. Listen, if you're retired, 
Praise God. You've got all this time now open to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you're retired, get refired and on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and use that time because time is short. The days are passing. He gave his life for you. Will you not give your life back in love to him? We need passionate servers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need people that are great in God's eyes. Those who are the servants. You know, we studied Romans 12 this past Wednesday night. And there's a verse in Romans 12 that's very interesting. Romans chapter 12, verse 11 says, Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The old King James, I think, says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That's the way I memorized it. So I was studying that. I come across something Chuck Swindoll wrote in his little work. And it says, From my journal. I want you to hear what he said about this thought. He said, Benjamin Zander wrote a great book that he titled The Art of Possibility. At the time, Zander was conductor of the Boston Philharmonic and a professor at New England Conservatory of Music. I mean, this guy knew music inside and out. He wrote as a musician, not surprisingly, but in doing so, he also masterfully blended the world of music with everyday life. In a chapter on passion, he included the story of a particular student who played Chopin perfectly, but without an essential quality that makes a great performance. Here's what he wrote. Listen, a young pianist was playing a Chopin prelude in my master's class. And although we had worked right up to the edge of realizing an overarching concept of the piece, you already feel more refined, don't you? His performance remained earthbound. He understood it intellectually. He could have explained it to someone else, but he was unable to convey the emotional energy that is true language of music. Then I noticed something that proved to be the key. His body was firmly centered in the upright position. I blurted out, the trouble is you're a two buttock player. I encourage him to allow his whole body to flow sideways, urging him to catch the wave of the music with the shape of his own body. And suddenly the music took flight. Several in the audience gasped, feeling the emotional dart hit home. And a new distinction was born. A one buttock player, the president of a corporation in Ohio who was present as a witness, wrote to me, quote, I was so moved that I went home and transformed my whole company into a one buttock company, end quote. And Swindoll says, what a great goal for believers to become one buttock Christians. People would come from everywhere to know the God we serve if we live the truth we carry in our hearts with vibrant, enthusiastic passion. It's time we started living out the truth of the gospel with the kind of boiling over passion and zeal described in the words, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, as the scripture says, serving the Lord. If enough of us started doing that, we could watch as the world around us is transformed. They don't miss what he's saying there because you're, you're chuckling over the idea of being a one buttock Christian. In all honesty, some Christians need to get up off their buttocks and serve. But the idea is that we have a passion for service, a passion for the Lord, a sold out mentality saying, Jesus is my life and I give him all for his honor and his glory. But what do we do? It's time to go to church again. Kids, get in the car. Get your Bibles. Here's a dollar. Your friend wants to come. Great. Come on. Listen, 
Jesus says, be great, be a servant, be a slave, be passionate about serving others. Let me ask you as we wrap up things today. Are you a passionate server of Jesus Christ? Well, I want you to be honest about it. Are you passionate about serving Jesus? If Jesus were to look at your life, would he say, you know what? There's a great believer that he or she serves me. Now, listen, we don't we don't earn his love. I'm not talking about that. It's not being more love or less love. He loves us. He loves us. But it's the idea of serving him and pleasing him. Are you a passionate server? Are you joyfully serving Jesus? Do you dread nomination time? Do you dread the phone calls? Now, listen, you can't do everything. We don't want you to do everything. The idea is not for you to do everything. You need to pray and seek God's will, what he wants you to do and what he's equipped you to do and to fill that spot. Not wear 18 hats. Not some are wearing many hats. And, and you know why that happens? Because others are saying, listen, I'm going to sit back on my buttocks and do nothing. We need to get busy for the Lord Jesus. Are you a passionate, joyful servant of Jesus Christ? You see, we're not seeking greatness for our glory, but for God in his glory. We're not seeking to, to be a slave to honor ourselves, but to honor him. We serve in his strength, in his will for his glory. And don't miss the, the concept of the passage. The passage is not saying, listen, if you're in a position of leadership, if you have authority, it's not saying resign it's saying be a servant in that position. Be a servant. If you're a boss, be a servant. If you're a manager, be a servant. If you're a husband, a wife, whatever it is, uh, pastors, we're servants. We can be servant leaders. So I ask you today, will you live against the grain? Will you be great in Jesus' eyes? Will you use the Lord's definition instead of the world to say, listen, I want to be great. Using Jesus' definition. I want to be a servant. I want to be a slave. I want to please my master. I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Will you live against the grain? Will you begin today? Will you live your life that way? Live against the grain. Be great. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that's there. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for not... Just brushing off the disciples, but teaching them and teaching us about true greatness. I pray during this invitation, if someone's lost, that today they'll come to know Jesus. And I pray today if someone is maybe not seeking true greatness, today they'll begin doing that as they become a servant. Thank you for so many who are servants here. We praise you for them. Father, I realize that this... Work is great you've given to us, and we need all those who belong to you filling their spot and their part in the body. So, Lord, challenge and direct and God according to your will. Bless this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning, number 606, I gave my life for thee. And the altar is open today. If you need to be saved, we invite you to come. If you need to come and pray today, we invite you. You want to seek God's will today, we invite you to come and pray. Maybe you just want to come and give a fresh surrender of your life and say, Lord, I'm yours wherever, whenever, whomever, I'm there. I, you guide me.
I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that thou mightst ransom thee and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given for me? Let's stand up and sing 606. You've got it. Thank you.